What does this mean? Martin Luther asked that question 500 years ago to help regular people connect to the Christian journey. We believe it's still a really good question. In the next few minutes, the pastors of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, will talk about some of the Bible lessons that we read in church, connecting a 2,000-year-old book to real life in the 21st century. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling, and I'm here with my fantastic colleagues, Pastor Javen Swanson and Pastor Lois Palmeyer. We decided to do this podcast because sometimes the Bible makes a whole lot of sense, and sometimes it makes no sense whatsoever. So we want you to know that we have the same struggles as a lot of you, and we want to work together to help understand some of these Bible readings. How does a book that's a couple thousand years old speak to us in the 21st century? We think it still does. Pastor Lois, why bother with the Bible? Partly, I think, because of what you said, that um, we, we believe that it does carry some truth for us. And I think sometimes the fact that people have been struggling with this for sometimes 2,500 years and have a story about what they what they find and what seems meaningful is inspirational for me to say, I want to find meaning in this too. I like entering a stream that's been flowing mm-hmm. for a long time to hear good news and to find what the good news is for me in the text. Right. Yeah, I think we bother with it, not because it's a reliable history textbook or a science book, but that in the Bible we find people wrestling with the same kinds of questions we continue to wrestle with today. And in a way, even though the people recorded in the Bible are thousands of years separated from us and are very different from us, in another way, they're not so different from us at all in the kinds of things that they were thinking about and wrestling with. And I think for us to uh, carry their wisdom forward and to learn from the wisdom there is really valuable to us. We should probably also start by saying welcome to Lent. We are in the 40 days of Lent. These are the days that lead up to our most significant festival of the year, Easter. So these are days that are designed to help us get ready for that celebration. So we'll be looking at the Bible lessons that come up on each Sunday during Lent. Uh, This year, we're paying particular attention to the Hebrew scripture readings because we'll be doing a couple of events with Mount Zion Temple on Summit Avenue. We've had a long-standing 40-year relationship with Mount Zion and are celebrating it celebrating that this Lent. So we should get started. Pastor Lois, why don't you give us some background on the first reading? Deuteronomy was a collection of the people of Israel's writings that helped them tell the story of their past and what was important in their lives. And this passage comes from a way that they celebrate in the spring, so that feels fitting, 
their first harvest, and that means things that are growing in the spring the first time that we, they can harvest food at the beginning of the year. Pastor Javen, would you like to do the reading for us? I'd be happy to. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Thanks. What a beautiful description of offering. We think of our offerings sometimes as a sacrifice or uh, an obligation. And this reading reminds us that our offerings are our first fruits of things that God has already given to us. And the passage puts it in the context of all the things God has always done for us, not just this particular harvest, but everything God has done, and reminds us, I think, that offerings are always a response, not an obligation, not a responsibility, not a, you know, something God has instructed us to do, but a response that we can't help but offer what God has done for us. I love that. I love the phrase, a wandering Aramean was my Mm -hmm. ancestor. It's a reminder to all of us that God's people see ourselves as sojourners, as travelers, as immigrants. We are all immigrants. And a reminder of how God is always faithful to the ones who feel as if they're homeless or lost or looking, and that God calls us to care for sojourners because we ourselves our sojourners. I love that. God has always seen the oppression of those who are in trouble. This reminds us that God sees our oppression, has recognized where we struggle, 
but it's also a reminder to us when we are ones in power to look out for those who are being oppressed or treated harshly or afflicted, that God God's watching out for them. That was one of the pieces that really struck me while I was listening to the text being read. It's when you forget where you've come from is usually when you have abundance and surplus and things are going great and we forget what the source of all of that is. And I love each time Israel is doing well, they're reminded, you know, you were slaves um, because they forget how to treat the alien and the foreigner among them and start to say, well, this is our land. You can't have any of the benefits of this land. Mm-hmm. I just – I was so struck by that whole recounting of their history all the way back to the wandering Aramean Abraham, right? This this recounting of their entire history and it made me think of what are the family stories that when we gather every year – for Christmas or for Easter or just when we're together as a family? What are the stories that we tell over and over again that help us ground ourselves and our own history as a family? Mm -hmm. And that's really what's going on here is that um, they never want to lose sight of that story, that kind of larger context of who they are. I love that. I love that. The text is sometimes used in our churches on Thanksgiving Day when we celebrate Thanksgiving. And when you look at it, it really does have so many um, overlaps or reminders of our Thanksgiving story. But the last sentence, then you together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you to imagine our first Thanksgiving, in our picture books, we have a pretty picture of it always being pilgrims celebrating with the first Americans and recognizing their shared story and being cooperative and helping each other. Mm-hmm. And we've really lost that part of it. So much now becomes the way you were saying, Pastor Bradley, that we think of this land as our entitlement, that we own it, that it's ours. Right. And the real reminder is you are yourselves foreigners and sojourners on land that was someone else's. And that was true for for these people celebrating, too. It's a good reminder to us. Right. I mean, it it does. It says right there in verse five, I think, a wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien. And then we hear at the end. And so then you together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you. We remember we were aliens once. And now, when we are here today celebrating this, it's us and we are welcoming the strangers who are among us as well. I think that's important for us to remember. Uh, One of the things this text does to me, too, is to think about beginning each day saying, everything that I have, uh, my family, my possessions, my work, my energy— is something that God has given to me and therefore can be used for the good of the world Um, so that this kind of first fruits giving isn't something you do one day a year but is kind of a mental way we start each day saying, "How, how will I do this today? 
We should probably take a little break here and then come back with the second reading. second reading for the day is Romans chapter 10, 8b. Don't you love it when these start in the middle of a verse? You should, That's you the should second tell us what half. that means. Well, sometimes verses get split into two parts, A and B, and this is one of those instances. It won't kill you if you accidentally read A. But <laughs> <laughs> So the Roman, Romans 10, 8b through 13. And this is a little section in Paul's letter to the Roman church, where he's really kind of struggling to understand why the gospel was picked up so quickly by Gentiles, but not by his own family in the Jewish tradition. And already at that time, there were some who were saying that the Gentiles were taking over God's promises. And Paul is really struggling to say, no, God's promises still are extended to both communities. So there's a whole series of chapters here where Paul is struggling with that. And this is uh, part of that. Lois, would you read the text? Yes. Paul writes, the word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you. Again, I think this is just such a gorgeous text about the heart of Christian faith. Actually, and I use the word heart, and in this text, both heart and mind are used here. And to connect faith, I think, sometimes we tend to make faith as cognitive or intellectual assent to something. But for Paul, faith is about this deep trust that God's promises are are true in the sense I'm going to stake my life on that. And when I was reading this, I was like, this is Jesus getting under your skin. Mm. This is Jesus as part of your whole being, not just ideas about Jesus, but saying the way of Jesus is the way that I want to be. And I want the heart of me to connect to my mind, to connect mm. to my to my body and trusting that Jesus is raised from the dead, not as some kind of wild historical fact that's to believe, 
to be believed, but this sense that God's power of life is stronger than death. Oh, that's beautiful. I love this this phrase. Um, but if you could, uh, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God is raised. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It often sounds as if, well, you better believe this. If you do this, then God will. And instead, to me, it's an invitation to say, when you believe, when you can say it and celebrate, I have a whole new life today. That is that is life. That is salvation. God is real for you. It's it's like saying when you're in love. You have just, to say it. You, you can't exactly just right. keep it inside of you there in fact there's something about love that has to be spoken for it to genuinely be love you want to share it with somebody it comes out of you yeah, yeah right yeah. and i love this idea that there's no distinction between jew and greek the same lord is lord of all it, i love this idea that this gospel good news is equally available to everyone who wants it and that we're, there's no dividing line. There's no one who's separated from this good news. But anyone who wants access to it has it and can claim it and can confess it for themselves. Yeah. To me, that's the edgy part in this text to say everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So that means my... Christian siblings who have very different political beliefs than I do. Um, I also think it means when our Jewish neighbor calls out. And I would venture to guess that if Paul were writing today, that he would include our Muslim neighbor here, that those who call out to God to be saved. And here I think we should think of being saved as being healed, being made whole, It's a, which is a better translation. Anybody who cries out for that will receive that from God. I, I think the calling out gives it to us. It's, again, like saying, when you are saying, God be with me, God is with you. That already is the invitation. You're not saying, God be with me, I hope that you'll come, and then you sit around and wait for God to come. When you call on the name of the Lord, you are saved in that. God is already cherishing you. There's also a connection here to the first reading from Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy 26, verse 6. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction. Um, so I think maybe that's one of the little threads mm-hmm. weaving through these three passages today. I think in Lent, hearing this text, when we're thinking about naming out loud where our heart is, um, maybe that's in confession to saying, my heart has not been in the love of God. It's been in the love of a whole lot of other things. Mm. Um, and Or maybe that's speaking out loud about what God has done for us. Sometimes I think that's really hard for us to do. I remember a time I was with a friend. We were in San Francisco, and we were sitting on top of this big hill overlooking the Castro. We were drinking wine. It was this beautiful night, and I blurted out, 
I just love God so much. <laughs> and it happens in the Castro all the time, I think. <laughs> um, but and then was immediately embarrassed by Aww. that. But it was one of those moments. It's like truly my heart loves God, but as this Lutheran who's often so cautious and timid about speaking my heart out loud. It actually took a little bit of wine to be able to say that. But if all of us could be so bold to speak from from that kind of place. So maybe that ends up being a call in Lent. How do we truly speak from our heart? I love that. Well, I think we should break and then go to the gospel reading for the day. Welcome back. The gospel reading for today is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. So just to ground this in the context of Luke, um, the first few chapters of Luke, we've had Jesus's birth. And of course, Luke is the one who gives us the great birth stories of Jesus and the Magnificat and all those lovely passages. And then we have his baptism. And now we come to this passage. Um, This is before he has begun any of his public ministry. This is still Jesus sort of on his way to becoming who he will be. Pastor Bradley, would you read this for us? Sure. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. 
Thank you, Bradley. So I think this text is full of imagery that in a sermon, I mean, there are so many directions you could go in a sermon with this. But as I was thinking, what does this mean to us today, to people in our real lives today? I think there's what it got me thinking about is how the wilderness is a place where we confront our own demons, where we can Mm -hmm. sort of come to terms with our own demons. And the wilderness being a metaphor for all sorts of things. Maybe it's an addict reaching rock bottom or just a relationship coming to a head and sort of like that come to Jesus point where it's like you are stripped bare and now you have to confront this. Um, And I think we could probably all think of all sorts of wilderness times in our lives. And, and I think those can be places where we get an opportunity to really confront the stuff that's getting in the way for us of having, of being who we really are supposed to be. And so maybe that's what does this mean for us today is it speaks something about the value of wilderness. And the other interesting thing here, I think, is that it tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. God actually wants Jesus to have this confrontation with the devil, um, which could be, it could lead us to think, so why do bad things happen to good people? Does God want us to have these bad things happen? And I don't think that's what I want to say here, but I think I do want to say that God wants us to have these experiences of coming to terms with our demons, confronting our demons so that that we can have these, we can have a hard experience, but that leads us to something good and helps us to become who we truly are. I was thinking when you were talking that sometimes those moments come not in some grand wilderness moment where we're rock bottom or a relationship has fallen apart, but anytime we're faced with this choice of I could say this or I could say this. And that comes so often, so many times a day where I'm faced with a choice. I can be this kind of person or I can be this kind of person. And it it forces me to consider what's my identity? Who is it that I'm going to be? And there it's like A or B. Right. I, what's interesting for me about that is that in all of these cases where he's tempted, the temptation comes from a verse that the devil brings up from Scripture. Oh, I love that part. Mm-hmm. Isn't he's that great? using Scripture. Using Scripture. Right, right. And Jesus responds with a different verse from Scripture. So a lot of times when we're facing what you're describing, Pastor Bradley, as this choice between I could be this person or this person, I could justify myself on either side, even with verses from Scripture or certainly verses from what seems like moral good. I could tell myself I deserve something or I earned something or whatever. And yet there's also scripture that might lead me into a path that really will bring me light and life. You know, so where God is stripping me bare in the wilderness, sometimes it's, you know, two goods or two things that you could say, oh, there's something there. Right. But how am I being called into 
goodness or fullness of life. And maybe another way to think about that is that evil isn't always so obvious. Mm. You know, like evil doesn't always just take the form of horrendous behavior or something. It can Sometimes it can be grayer than that, and we don't even quite realize that we've been led down a path that's bad for us until we're a little ways along. Right. And, um, you know, it's like Jesus could have followed the devil's scriptures and sounded like that's what the Bible said. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's probably uh, it's it's probably true that anytime there's a struggle about which way to go, it is gray because if if it were so clear, there wouldn't be an internal struggle about it. And I think it's probably important to say these are not once in a lifetime choices that are made. We often make a choice that doesn't turn out to be the right one. And what that simply does is bring us to another point where we have another set of choices to make mm-hmm. and directions to to we choose. It's not like, all right, I failed. I went with the devil this time. So now I am eternally and forever lost on the path. It's like two steps down the path. I have another opportunity mm. to figure out what is the Holy Spirit calling me to do. And sometimes we don't get to the second or third choice without making those first two wrong. That's part of the wilderness right. too. That that makes me think of that very final verse. It's kind of ominous. The, when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Like this story is not actually over. Yeah. There's going to be more of this. It really makes you wonder what's Luke pointing to yet. Right. Yeah. Well, that is probably an opportune moment then for <laughs> us to to wind up for today. We're so glad that you listened. Um, we actually are interested to hear what you think about what this means. You can drop us a note at pastors at Gloria Day, stpaul.org. If you want to know more about Gloria Day Lutheran Church, you can find us at gloriadaystpaul.org or just Google Gloria Day Lutheran Church St. Paul. You'll find us. Join us for worship every Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45 or now during Lent on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. We have Sunday school for all ages at 9.30 in the morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.